Harry Potter and the Deadly Hallows Part 1 Review Harry, Hermione and Ron have grown up. The horrors they met at Hogwarts are but nostalgic memories. They are cast out now into the vastness of the world on their own, and Voldemort and his Death Eaters draw ever closer. Also drawing near is an equally unsteadying phenomenon, sexual majority. Both are barely kept at bay in, his, in this part, in the first part of the last installment of the Harry Potter film saga. David Yard's Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows is a handsome and sometimes horrifying film and will be completely unintelligible for anyone coming to the series for the first time. At 1.46 minutes, it comforts us with a roll call of the many, many characters in the series and requires a nearly encyclopedic recall on the epic's previous chapters. Though I have seen all the films, there were times when I had no idea what they were talking about. Indeed, there are times when Hermione was to explain to Harry. My clues, my Cluelessness didn't bother me because the film depends more on mood and character than any of the others and key actions seem to be alarmingly taking place off screen. Our three heroes have left Hogwarts behind, Quidditch games are a thing of the past and things have come to such a pass that Harry keeps his white owl in a cramped parrot cage. The film opens with a frightening meeting of the Death Eaters, plotting the destruction of all the three young heroes. Beside him is Lord Voldemort, his noseless face disturbingly like a snake's. Harry must be destroyed. That a hero survives after the myriad attacks on his life in the earlier installments does not speak well for Voldemort's minions. But this time they mean business. Harry, Daniel Radcliffe, moves his moves his family to save heaven. He joins Hermione and Ron in flight, sometimes literally. They seek counsel from old friends and spend a great deal of time in wilderness isolation. They have the ability to materialize anywhere and we find them in forbidding forest, beside meadow-like lakes, ranged by mountains and in a harsh landscape where the rocks have been driven by deep cracks. That some of these locations are actual and others are CGI is usually not noticeable. Although I doubt that Harry would have skipped so casually over these cracked stones if they were real. His isolation serves two purposes, helps conceal them from Voldemort, especially after Ron Weasel seems to live up to his name and Weasel out and allows Harry and Harmony to become group of friends than Emma, confident and even yes in love. They share a kiss, so chase the passion from the stranger to them. They might as well be observing a former ritual and they are nude or almost nude as they stand close to each other and ghostly CGI's obscure all the naughty bits as eventually as fig leaves. Much has to do with trace tracking down missing pieces of Voldemort's soul. The late beloved Dumbledore has left obscure clues to their whereabouts leading to two observations. Beyond a certain level of obscurity, a clue lacks usefulness and how extraordinary careless of Voldemort to leave missing pieces of his soul lying about. This installment ends in midstream which we all know it would because part 2 opens in July. That final installment must at last tie up all the loose ends. Dispatch winners celebrate he gives a return some stability to the world of magicians. The hope a breeze flows through it and clears away the mist is too much to hope for. A moiny hill has grown into an attractive young woman. Harry and Ron are both alert to that and now Harry needs to shave. The final film will be in 3D. This installment was once planned for retrofite 3D, but Warner Bros. a studio that enforces traditional standards, decided against that after absorbing the disastrous results of other 2D films converted to 3D. As we approach the end of a decade of Harry Potter, it's clearly how wisely the studio cast the series.